morning. We survived the first service. So, now we had a good first service today and jumping in, and this is going to be a good sermon series. It's going to be a tough sermon series. Today is going to be a little bit atypical. Uh, I'm going to spend a little more time on the introduction, uh, a little more time setting up where we're going, kind of some ground rules for this series. Uh, You can see already that we want to approach this really from a humble perspective. Uh, we want to tackle some tough topics from a biblical perspective and from a biblical worldview. Uh, if the culture around us is talking about things like this, we simply cannot be afraid uh, to have the conversations about it as well. Uh, one pastor I saw, he posted a video and he said, I think we have an obligation as church leaders to speak openly about hard topics. If we don't disciple our people in biblical truth, the world will. And I agree with that because right now I feel like for many people in our world today, we are being discipled more by cable news, by Facebook, by TikTok, by talk radio, by podcast. Uh, We're being discipled more by those because that's where we spend our time. We spend more time there than we do in our Bibles. And so those things have shaped our viewpoint, our worldview in such a way that we just kind of regurgitate what we've heard and what we've seen and what we've experienced. Now, it also seems that we tend to take our cues for how we communicate uh, around these topics from those same sources. And so I'm, I'm scared a little bit going into this because in our culture today, we've been trained that whoever shouts the loudest, whoever is the most condescending, Right? Whoever has the, 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 speaks with the most authority is the expert in that area. If you don't believe me, watch, like, watch any news, uh, you know, news radio, any talk show, any, anything. What, what do you see? You see people talking at each other instead of with each other. Are y'all, are y'all tired of that? I am. You know, I'm, I, and, it, and it seems to me that that has crept into the church as well. Where that's the way pastors communicate. That's the way talk show hosts communicate. That's the way Christians now, uh, if you are, you know, that's, we've got to be, this is the way. It, and, and, and I want to approach these things from a humble perspective. Um, the way we communicate today seems to me to be much more like the Pharisees than like Jesus. And so uh, let's, I'll just kind of share the topics we're going uh, that we're going to be talking about. And I'll just kind of share in advance. These are controversial in our world today. Uh, And so there may be some of you here today that you hear this and you're like, this is going to be tough. And and I'll talk about this. I just want to ask that you kind of go into this with a spirit of humility uh, and let's learn together what the Bible has to say. We're going to talk today about why the culture has turned against the church and what that means for us and how we respond We're going to talk about the relationship between faith and science. We're going to talk about what does pro-life mean, abortion, how do we respond, and and how do we deal with that? Why is there suffering and evil in the world? Why is there so much confusion around gender and sexuality? How should Christians approach politics? Those are the topics that are going to lead us into Easter. Sound fun? I kind of joke first service, it seems like a lot of times Jesus would get a crowd of people around him and, and Jesus would always do something like you read like Luke nine ten around there. 
he like gets this group of people following and he stops and says, why are you following me, right? Are, are, you, are you sure you understand what this means? And I think there's times for us that we have to, to, to kind of dig in and say, what do we really believe? Why do we believe that? How does the Bible inform what we believe? Now, I understand people have some really strong opinions and feelings about these topics. Um, I'm going to do my best to get out of the way and let God speak. You don't need me to share my opinion up here. You don't need me to get up here and tell you, this is what I think, this is what I feel, this is what I... What does God say? How does God's Word influence? How does, it, how does He address the principles that we're talking about? So I'm just going to ask that we all, we lay aside our presuppositions... We humbly learn from Jesus. We learn from His Word. This morning, it kind of lays the groundwork for the whole series. Um, and so it, that's kind of what we're going to do. We're gonna, what we're going to do, we're kind of going to open up. Uh, we're going to look at the issue. We're going to see what the Bible has to say. And then we're going to see how we should respond. So that's kind of the game plan each week. I'm going to jump right in today and just kind of state a fact um, that I think you would agree with me on. And it's simply this. Christianity does not hold the position of prominence in our culture like it once did. Do you all agree? You look, at, you look at the world around us, and it seems like there are more and more people who have turned against Christianity. Now, for some people, that means that their whole world is crumbling, <laughs> And they're panicking, they're angry, they're upset. Um, but I would kind of, I would propose that it does not change who we are. It does not change who we worship. It does not change our mission. Now, what we are seeing over the last few years, uh, you can trace it back to a number of roots. A lot of people talk about the rise in postmodernism, postmodernity, um, and what that as what we've seen as people really developing their own view of the world and how we fit in it uh what we what we've seen as people coming up with their own worldview from a perspective of this is what i believe and uh, i'm going to take a little bit from here i'm going to take a little bit from here a little bit from this it's kind of a i've, I've mentioned before it's almost like a cafeteria style of spirituality we go through the line and we pick out, I want a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And we've shaped our own theology. We've shaped our own religion based around what we think and what we feel. We reject truths that apply to everybody. That's kind of the postmodern thought system. It, just because it's true for you does not mean that it's true for me. And, and so that's the world we kind of live in. And because of that, you see... Uh, this pushback against what the Bible says. You see people saying, well, that the Bible doesn't really apply to us today. It was written in a particular culture or a particular time period. It doesn't really mean the same thing then as it means today. We get to interpret it how we want. That's, that's all postmodern thought. And so that's kind of the world we live in. On top of that, what we see is a huge polarization in our society. Uh, used to be that, um, and, and I think what's happening is the, the, the extremes have gotten much louder. And so whether it's political issues, uh, uh, whatever societal issues, what we see, uh, people are picking sides and they're more vocal, again, talking at each other instead of with each other. 
and then on top of all that, you add in COVID. And what COVID did, it did change the world we live in in, in some pretty significant ways. But what it also did, it sped up what was already happening in our world. And so what was already happening in the church uh, when COVID hit, it, it just sped it up. So what we saw immediately after COVID and as churches started opening up is a drop in church attendance nation, nationwide, a drop in attendance of around 30%. So think about that. One out of three people just quit going to church. Um, and we're just now starting to see churches get back to the point they were pre-COVID. Um, and many churches, uh, in fact, many churches closed during COVID because people left and they never came back. For us here at Cornerstone, we're right now at about the same level we were in 2019. So that kind of shows you, right, it's taken us four years to get back to where we were. So all of this stuff, uh, and I did see that it said COVID was described as a global x-ray revealing what was hidden in our systems and our relationships all along. And I think that's what it did. It kind of revealed what was already taking place, but it accelerated it. And so I did also see this, which was interesting, and Pew Research did a study and they did a model on what was happening, what was taking place in the religious viewpoints of the world, and when you add in people who proclaim to be Christians, Catholic Christians all together, it said they found the most likely outcome to be Christianity dropping below the majority in 2045 and the unaffiliated people who have no religious affiliation, becoming the largest group by 2055. By 2070, 52% of Americans would, be, would have no religious identif- uh, identification. So that's where we are. Uh, and, and I know like, for some of you, you're like, man, I, I, I want to go back to the way it used to be like when I was growing up, right? We have that, that, that we, we long to return to the good old days. Can I tell you we're not going back? Um, we're not going back. We're, we're, doing the, we're following the same pathway that's happened in Europe, that's happened in Canada, happened in, in more progressive areas in our country. We're, we're going down that pathway. And I wish that I could tell you things are going to get better, but I would be lying to you because the Bible is pretty clear that as we go towards the future, um, that things aren't going to get better. The closer we get to end times, the closer uh, that we are to, to seeing ourselves become the minority. And so I just want to share a word of caution here, right? And, and I'll share this because how we respond to all this information I just shared shows a lot about where we place our trust. And I would say, I've heard a lot of people like stand up and say, Christians are being persecuted in the U.S. and this is terrible. And I, and I would just push back and say, just because we're going through hardship, just because people, the, the tide is turning against what we believe, does not really mean we're suffering intense persecution. When you look around the world, there are places you cannot be public with your faith for fear of being executed. There are more people being executed now for their faith than ever at any point in history. That should wake us up a little bit that what we're experiencing Instead of get, getting angry about it, it should just remind us that we have a mission. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, and I, I'll just say, it's not persecution if your post gets taken down on Facebook. 
that's not a big deal in the scope of eternity. Right? I mean, you're not paying for it anyway. Why do we expect non-Christian companies to act in our best interest? And I just, I just share that, right? We're going to experience hardships and persecution, but this is not what I would consider that. When we look in the New Testament, let me, let me remind you, first century uh, Israel, they were under Roman occupation. And what we see, especially right after the time of Jesus, as we go and uh, they, in, they underwent intense persecution. They were killed for their faith. And so what we see, it was very, uh, it, it, was, it could be dangerous to believe. The religious leaders were out to, to kill Jesus because he was, uh, you know, he, 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 he was a threat to their control. The, the, uh, the Romans were out to, to persecute uh, the Christians and the Jews. And so we have all this going on. In Romans 8, it kind of mentions this. And, and it says this, and I think this is a reminder to us as we get started today. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or are destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I think that's a reminder we need today. No matter what happens, no matter if things get worse, if things get better, it does not change the character of God. It does not change how He views us. And so even if you go back in the Old Testament, uh, when we see uh, the nation of Israel go through these periods of uh, blessing and then through their disobedience they would encounter the consequences for that, what we see time and time again is uh, that they needed to be reminded that God was still with them. But that they also had a mission to proclaim the name of God uh, to all nations. And so we see when they were in captivity in Babylon, uh, they were captured and, and taken out of their country, all to a foreign land, all the way into modern-day Iraq. And, and what do we see happen? Jeremiah reminds them of their God. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a verse that many people know. It's we hear for, I know the plans that I think towards you, says the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope, uh, that verse. But right before that, uh, I love what Jeremiah 29 tells us because I think this is a reminder to us today. How do we respond when a culture is against us? How do we respond when the world is, is moving against us? In Jeremiah 29, this is what it says. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children, find spouses for them so that you may have many grand grandchildren, multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. That's an interesting passage that I don't hear preached much. But what it's telling us, right, when the world is against us, instead of being angry about it, instead of getting mad about it, what do we do? We work for the welfare of the world that we live in. Because the peace, of the prosperity of where we live 
uh, that's what we, we need to be working towards that because it affects how we live. And so what many churches, what many Christians do is they see the world changing and they get mad and they kind of lock the doors and said, we're going to just focus on us and, and forget about the world out there. We're going to focus on who we are. And that's not what we're called to do. Instead of being outraged, we should engage. I read a book several years ago called Christians in the Age of Outrage, How to Bring Our Best When the World is at Its Worst. Uh, and he talks about in that book how uh, that one of the greatest challenges of our day is how to engage the world uh, when everybody's in this spirit of outrage. Uh, and he talks about how, hey, our challenges are a lot less threatening than we faced in previous centuries. We're not facing being, you know, burned at the stake. But the stakes are still high. The impact, uh, the, the stakes still impact how and if we can engage this moment well for the cause of Christ. And so I want to talk about that today. How do we engage and do it well? How do we reach this world around us that sometimes does not want to be reached? And so uh, what I'll kind of keep going in this introduction and, and kind of explain where we're at. And what's happened as a result of all of this, the change in culture has led to people turning away from the church. And there's, there's numerous reasons, and I'll explain some of those. Uh, but really, if we kind of back up what we've seen, there's a, a huge rise in two groups of people in our world today. And it it's happens that they, they kind of rhyme with each other. And I've seen a lot written about these. But there's what has been labeled the nuns and the duns. Okay? The nuns um, are not like wearing a you know, black dress and all that. I'm talking about N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Uh, and they are the people that if they took a survey and they were asked, what is your religious affiliation, they would check the box, none. Okay? That group is growing like crazy. Uh, they're the fastest growing group. In America right now, this is 26% of the population. One out of every four people, when you say, what is your religious affiliation? They, they're not like, my parents were Christians, my parents were Catholic. They were just none. And, and that shouldn't surprise us. And what we've seen, again, is that number is rapidly increasing. What's kind of also interesting is the total number of people that are really committed uh, going to church has not really decreased uh, significantly, but the number of people who were kind of loosely attached to church has dropped. What you're seeing is people either in church or they're no religious affiliation. That makes sense? You're kind of seeing uh, the, the extremes here a little more. Um, and so what, what's happening, even the Religion News Service says the United States is steadily becoming less Christian and the number of people with no religion is rising. Uh, that should not surprise us. So, again, how do we respond? How do we give up? Throughout Scripture, we see, instead of being angry or mad about it, we engage, we reach out. There's a small little book in the New Testament called Jude. It talks about how we stand for our faith. And there's a couple of verses here that I thought really were applicable. And, it, he, and in Jude, it says this, You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. And I feel like that's the, our world is in that point where the faith of our world is wavering. They're unsure. And it says, Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. 
Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. And that's just a reminder to us, right? Uh, we, we need to, to understand that even when the world is, is kind of turning against the church, we still have a responsibility to rescue people. We still have that mission. So that's the, the nuns. But there's another group of people we need to be, be aware of, the duns. And the way I would describe this, these are the people who have been in church, been involved in church. Many of them have been very active in church, but are now done with organized religion. Now, this is kind of the, the current trend. You see a lot of social media. Uh, they're labeled ex-evangelicals. They're going through deconstruction and reconstruction, post-evangelical. Lots of terms used to describe people. Uh, and what it is, it's kind of a catch-all term for a wide range of spiritual experiences. Uh, it's people who uh, would say, I'm not an atheist, but I don't need to be in church to experience God. And so a lot of people are kind of in this, would kind of fall in this category, and it's a rising category as well. Maybe they've been burned by the church. Maybe they've been hurt by the church. Maybe they don't see the relevance of the church, or maybe they're angry at the church, whatever it is. Um, and I understand there are reasons for many people going through this, but leaving, them, but leaving the church is not going to bring you closer to God. That's just the, ultimately, it's, uh, the church was God's idea. The church is the bride and the body of Christ. I've never seen anybody become a better disciple by withdrawing from other believers. And, and so people sin, leaders fail, community is messy, burnout happens, but you don't give up on God's plan. You don't give up on God's bride. And so if you place your identity in what you do, um, you're going, if you place, you know, if you look at church and church is where you find your validation and where you expect to get that from, it's going to let you down. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Tony Evans said this, he said, I, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And, and he said, people say that and they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But you don't have to go home when you're married. But if you stay away long enough, your relationship is going to be affected. And so we, that's just a reminder to us, right? So that's kind of the world we live in. That's what's happening. Uh, I'll keep going here. There's really five big reasons behind this. Five big reasons behind the current church exodus. And these, that's the groups. Now, what's happening? Why is it happening? Five things. Here's the first thing that I want to put, point out that's happening. Uh, we have an indifference to religion, to church, to organized religion. Uh, as our cultures become more, Christ, more post-Christian, uh, what social media has done is given people a chance to, to do their own thing. And so it's not necessarily that all people are against the church. They just don't care about the church. They're indifferent. Indifference is defined as a lack of interest, a lack of concern, a lack of sympathy. Um, Kerry Newhoff said this, he said, They don't hate in-person church. There's no surge of strong emotions. It's just no longer important. Many former regular church attenders aren't mad. They're just indifferent to whether they go to church or not. It's like they've assessed their life, they've thought about what matters, and decided that attending church just wasn't that important in the end. And so that, that's a, where a lot of people are. They're just indifferent. 
There's a second group of people, though. They're the people who uh, are in disagreement with the church. These are, tend to be a little more vocal. Uh, it's interesting. You'll see people just post a Bible verse on social media now, and like everybody comes out of the woodworks to complain about it. Have you noticed that? Right? It's just like you can just say something very, you know, very innocent, and then all of a sudden, well, how do you believe in this fairy tale? And why do you? They're, they're the people that are in disagreement with what you believe, with your worldview. Uh, maybe it's because they view the church as being too political or too judgmental or too focused on certain issues. Or uh, maybe it's that they just are, are disagree with uh, a doctrine or a belief of the church. Or even uh, that they disagree with even does God exist. But there are people who are in disagreement. There's a third group of people that have left the church or walked away or turned against the church. And it's those who have been hurt by the church. And I want to just stop for a minute and say, you don't have to look very far to see people who have been hurt by the church. Uh, There's numerous studies, numerous people talking about this. There's sexual abuse, there's cover-ups, there's embezzlement. Uh, There's people who have been hurt by friends, betrayed. Uh, All this time, and when you deal with people who are broken, and let's be honest, uh, all of us are broken in some way. We live in a broken world. You're going to see, uh, if you put your faith in people, they're going to let you down. And so there, there is a legitimate, there have been people who have been hurt by the church. And if you've been hurt by sin and the, the church and your, your experience, I, I want to say I'm sorry, but we don't put our faith in people. We put our faith in our God who can put the broken back together again. And, and so... Uh, if you give, you know, if you experience hurt, it doesn't mean you give up completely on people. There's a fourth reason, um, and again, that's a lot of introduction today, but you you understand why? Uh, it's burnout. Uh, many people who have left the church used to be very involved, and they just got to the point where they're like, no one notices, no one cares. I can't do it all by myself. I'm tired of doing this. I can't keep doing it. I'm just done. I'm done. And again, I would say this is, if you want to avoid burnout, it means you've got to cultivate your own relationship with God. You've got to set healthy boundaries. You've got to continue learning and growing and not, and again, it just, we've got to be careful. We've got to take care of our inner soul as we serve. And then there's a fifth one, and this kind of goes along with the church hurt, but it's just a loss of trust. Uh, survey after survey Uh, talks about this. I read an article that said people are increasingly losing their faith in large institutions in an age of mass information. Uh, The four primary institutional pillars of society, government, business, media, and the church are more likely to be viewed as corrupt, ineffective, and self-serving than trustworthy and effective and selfless. So what's happened is people have lost trust in government. Have we lost trust in government? Right. Have we lost trust in businesses? Do, you, do businesses really care about their employees anymore? Uh, have we lost trust in our media? Have we've, the church has been lumped in with all of that. Right? And so the world just looks at that and says, church is no different. Uh, it, it's interesting to me that you know, it used to be like a pastor was like a respected leader in the community. Can I tell you that pastors are not respected leaders in the community anymore? People look at them with distrust, with like, you're just trying to take people's money. You're just trying to, 
that's just the world we live in. We've lost that sense of trust. Uh, according to Gallup's Honesty and Ethics Survey, Americans' trust in pastors and clergy is at an all-time low. And so that's a little scary. So that's where we are. I've laid out, here's where we are, here's how we've got there. Now what do we do about it? Um, this is Because if I just stopped the sermon here, y'all would be pretty depressed again. You'd be like, okay, why did I come to church today? Um, let me, let's turn the corner, okay? You all ready? If we want to change wrong perceptions, we must truly love the people we are trying to reach, and we must regain our passion for the mission of God. This is where we start seeing how we can truly make a difference, how we can address these topics. We have to care about the people around us. We're going to become more of a minority. People will continue to be indifferent to the church and be actively against the church. But listen to me, that does not change our mission. It does not change what God has called us to do. It doesn't mean we isolate ourselves. It doesn't mean we complain. It doesn't mean we get angry. It should motivate us to leave out of this building and engage the world around us. And it starts with love. Matthew 5 is interesting. Because everybody's, uh, you know, and everybody in our world today uh, is talking about, well, who do we love? And how do we show that love? And how, listen to this. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Do you understand the significance of that? How countercultural that is in our world today? Um, because again, like cable news, everything else will tell us you don't love the people who are in sin. You don't love them. You, you judge them. You condemn them. You call them out. You, and, and, and there's a nuance here, right? But the, the scripture is clear love your neighbor, pray for those who persecute you. We are never going to reach people that we don't love. Let that sink in for a minute. If you don't care about people enough to share Jesus with them, enough to love them like Jesus loves them, you are not going to reach them. And what the world sees when they look at the church, they don't see this love. I feel like to me this is one of the biggest problems in the church. Today we would rather condemn the world and complain about the world instead of engaging the world and reaching the world because we love them. The only way we can do that is to love them enough to actually share Jesus. Here's how I would describe it. What's going to take place over these next few decades that we're alive is we are going to have to become missionaries to our own communities. You know what a missionary does, right? When a missionary goes and takes the gospel message to a foreign land, what do they do? They have to learn the language. They have to immerse themselves in the language and in the culture. Get to know the people. Get to understand the people. They, they, get, they, they, they have to understand how people think and how they feel and what they, uh, what, what they believe. 
And it's then when they can start making those gospel connections. And what they do, they translate the Bible into the language, into the everyday life of the people they're trying to reach. That's what a missionary does. That's what we're going to have to do as the world turns against us. We are going to have to be missionaries. And and it sounds funny to be a missionary in the place you grew up. Right? It sounds funny. I've said that for years. I feel like I'm a missionary in Galax. But it's not because... uh, (laughs) It's because the world is changing. Right? The world is changing around us. and, And we've got to learn... The language, we've got to study the culture, we've got to make the connections, we've got to share the gospel. Uh, that's what a good missionary does. It, it's interesting, and again, this is kind of blows my mind that we don't realize this, but uh, Lifeway Research did this study that 82% of people who are unchurched would come to church if a friend invited them. It's about relationships, it's about building trust. It's about learning the language, studying the culture. The mission of the church will not be accomplished by by what happens in here on Sunday morning. It happens when we leave this place. And And I've said this and I'll say it again. Our church is not about Sunday morning. It's about what happens when you leave here. It's about how you live your life every single day of the week. We've got to move from a church that simply gathers to a church that equips and sends you out. It's funny how Paul in Ephesians talks about this. He, he kind of lays out, this is the model of the church, and we've lost that because we've made church all about the Sunday morning experience. This is what Paul says. He says, these are the gifts that Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. In other words, there's this huge diversity of skills and gifts that he has given leadership. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. It does not say that their responsibility as leaders of the church is to do all the ministry. It says their responsibility is to teach people, to equip people, to prepare people, to send people. That's the responsibility. This is going to continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of what? What does it say? Full of love. It's the mark of a good church. It's full of love. They don't compromise truth because you speak the truth in love. But love is the defining characteristic of a church. And so, how do we respond? I want to give us a framework. Right? I want to give us a framework of if we can do these five things as we go and we talk about each one of these topics as we respond to a world that doesn't always care about what we think or what we feel or where we stand or what we believe, if we do these five things, it's going to give us a platform. It's going to give us an opportunity to be effective in reaching our world for Jesus. And so there's five things I want us to do. Here's the first. 
I want us to seek humility. Humility has got to be at the basis of everything we do. And the Bible is clear about this. Since God chose you in Colossians 3.12, God chose you to be the holy people He loves. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When you read about the fruit of the Spirit, you read verses like this. There is no mistake, right? We are called to be compassionate, kind, gentle, loving, and humble. That's who we are. And so when we see people act in ways that disagree with that, we've got to understand that's not who Jesus is. That's not how he lived. We need humility. We need to enter every discussion willing to listen, to learn, to grow. But we need to look to God for the answers that we respond with. And then so who did Jesus have the harshest condemnation for? It's for the religious elite, the religious leaders, the people who thought that they had it all together. Uh, in fact, I'll read to you this because I, I think this humility point is so important. I, I want to spend a little more time here. In Luke 18, this is what Jesus said. He told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." Okay, I want to ask you a question. I want you to be really honest with yourself. Who are you more like in that story? The Pharisee or the tax collector? I, I, I'm afraid in our culture today, we exalt the Pharisee. We exalt the person who says, thank God I'm not like the rest of the world. We don't realize that we need to be humbled. So the first thing, we've got to seek humility. Here's the second. We've got to embrace Scripture. Um, I, I think it's become trendy in our world today. I've seen a lot of pastors do this. Um, they'll say, I know God's Word says this, and I really wish it didn't say that. And I'm, I'm just going to be up front with you. Throughout this series, I'm not going to apologize for what God says. Um, we can stand by the Bible's truth without apology. We can recognize its relevance and guidance. What we've got to do is we've got to study to make sure we correctly interpret what he says and correctly apply what he says. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture, not some, all Scripture is inspired by God, literally breathed out by God. It is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And so how arrogant is for us is it for us to think we know more than God? And so I want to say, let's come to His Word, study it, interpret it, discover why it was written so we can properly apply it. And, and, and again, we don't use Scripture as a weapon. We use it, right, we use it, we don't use it as a weapon against people. We use it to, as a, to discover the truth that we can apply it to our lives. The third thing, I want to respect differences. 
This is where I may get some pushback. Um, every person is created in the image of God. We don't attack people, right? Even if they disagree with us, even if we feel that they're living in sin, even whatever, we treat them with dignity and respect because that's what Jesus did. Um, our fight is not against those who are hurting in this world. It is against the sinful and the demonic forces of darkness. And Paul reminds us of, of this. We are not, in Ephesians, he says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our enemy is not the person in sin. Our enemy is Satan. And we need to, to love the person in sin and help them... Uh, know that their brokenness can be healed there's a big difference there um and, and so what did jesus do he when he encountered when he confronted sinners he shared truth but he also offered hope he treated them with dignity and respect he invited them to follow and find a new way of life and if they rejected him he didn't get angry he didn't chase after them but he was there when they were ready to respond and that's how we're called to live and how do we do that? That brings us to the fourth thing. We build relationships. We build relationships. We just seek uh, opportunities to build relationships in our everyday life. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. And so we seek to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus. That's why Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. That's why people look down on him. Because he knew that people needed healing. In fact, when Paul explains uh, this whole process, this whole ministry we've been given in 2 Corinthians, he gives it a name. He gives it the, the name that we've been given, a ministry of reconciliation. It's in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's what, that's the, we build relationships so we can tell people this is the God we know. This is the God who has changed our life. And that brings me to the, the fifth point. If we do this, if we are humble, we embrace Scripture, we respect differences, we build relationships, we can't drop the ball and not do the fifth and most important thing. We can't, we, we've got to share Jesus. All right, we're more than a humanitarian agency. We've got to share Jesus. We understand that the deepest need of every single person is a relationship with God. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Christians who do not engage the world with the gospel are like those who have a treasure, but they hold on to it. The world is starving, and we hoard the bread of life. Spurgeon, he, he went on and said, neglecting our mission is on par with the vilest heresies in the history of the church. Hearts that do not bring Christ to the world prove that they do not actually love God. Christ. For if they loved Christ, they must love sinners. If they love Jesus, they must seek to extend his kingdom and to let him see the, the travail of his soul. That's why Paul would go on to say, I passed on to you what was most important. What had also been passed on to me, 
that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. We see in the early church, they preached Jesus. They preached Jesus as the answer, right? He, we need to repent. We need forgiveness. Uh, you need to, to put your faith and trust. You need to believe in Jesus. We see over and over this message that it's not just doing good to people. It's pointing them to Jesus. And so I, I want to close today. Just I, I want to be known as a Christian who shares the love of Jesus with a hurting, with a broken, with a lost world. That means I'm going to share Jesus. I'm going to share the gospel with people who are like me and with more importantly with people who are not like me. I've got to care enough about the people around me that I point them to Jesus. And so again, five things. We seek humility. We embrace Scripture. We respect differences. We build relationships and we share Jesus. That's our framework as we go throughout this series. If we do those things, it puts us in a position where we can tell people about the greatest hope in the world today, and that is Jesus. And I want to invite you to do the same, but it starts. It starts not with our opinion, not about what we feel. It starts about discovering who Jesus really is. And if you don't know Jesus, then let's start this series out by getting that nailed down. By, by acknowledging Jesus is who He said He is. If you're not sure, then talk to us and, and, and start seeking. I believe truly, if you seek Jesus, you're going to find Jesus. God's going to reveal the truth of Scripture to you. And so what the, world, what the, the, the Word teaches us is that we're all broken. We've all sinned. We've all turned away from God. And because of that brokenness, we've been separated from God. But what Jesus has done, He's provided a way that we could be made right with God. And through our faith and trust in Jesus, that changes everything about us. We are now a new creation in Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been, we've been made right with God. And because of that, we will be with Him for all of eternity. And so if you don't know that, then right now, I want to give you an opportunity to, to make things right with God. So I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. I'm going to ask that we close in prayer. The worship team's going to come back up. But let's pray together. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that we can talk about tough things in a, in a respectful way. Uh, I'm thankful that we can discuss things and turn to you for guidance and wisdom and, and do it in a, a kind and compassionate way. Lord, um, your word does instruct, instruct us, it corrects us, it teaches us, it trains us. And so I pray that as we go through this series, we just we turn to your word for, for everything. Lord, I pray for people in this room that they would know who Jesus really is. That they would be able to say that, that you loved us so much, that you demonstrated your love towards us, and that while we were sinners, Christ, you died for us. And Lord, that changes everything about how we live. It changes our purpose. It changes our heart. It changes everything because we now live for you instead of living for ourselves. So if there's anybody here today that has not put their faith in Jesus, then today would be that day that they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Today would be the day that they would look at what Jesus did upon the cross and, and realize that he, you died for our sins to take the punishment that we deserved. And because of that, we've been forgiven. Because of that, we've been given new life. Because of that, we will be with you for all of eternity.
So Lord, I pray that you change us. Change our hearts. Change our desires to be more like Jesus. Help us to be full of love. For the world will know that we are disciples by our love. Lord, we just thank you for your promise. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.